Amen. Well, good morning again. We are going to finish up our series uh, this morning on a prescription for praise. We've been going through the Psalms the past six weeks, actually, and as a part of our daily Bible reading plan. I hope you've been following along with us through that. I've seen Rachel at her desk. She's got a big window right into her desk, and I've seen her with her Bible out, and I stuck my head and said, what you reading? She said, I'm reading today's Bible reading passage. So she's following along with us. I love that. We've been taking some time together as a church in 2017 to just dwell in God's Word and to be nourished by the richness of God's written revelation to us, His Holy Word. So during the month of August, we've been looking in our worship times at at how the Psalms contain God's prescription to fix what's wrong with our world, really. The, The gospel hope is fulfilled in the commandment to praise ye the Lord, just like Rachel told our children, to praise the Lord in worship. If we would do that, then we would find the cure for so much of what ails our world. Worship is what we were made to do. When we live a, a life of, of open, grateful uh, praise, and we lay down all that we are to God as an act of worship, as a living sacrifice, then we live into the purpose for which we were created. We fulfill our, our longings and our desires. Actually, Eugene Peterson, I was reading him this week, he says, worship doesn't satisfy our hunger for God. I've been saying it wrong. Worship doesn't satisfy our hunger for God. It whets our appetite. Isn't that great? Our need for God isn't taken care of by engaging in worship. It doesn't, it doesn't ultimately end our need for God. It deepens it. When we worship, it shows us how dependent we are on the never-ending perfect provision of the high and holy God. Worship redirects our heart's, atten- our heart's affections and our mind's attentions to where they should be focused. So the first week in the series, we saw how Psalm 67 shows that worship is both the the fuel and the goal of missions. It's why we go, and it's, it's also what propels us as we go. Worship is. We said that missions exist because worship doesn't, right? We we go to the, the world with the gospel message in order to engender worship where there previously was not worship to increase the praise of God's holy name around the world. Then the second week, we looked at Psalm 84 and how it's infinitely better to spend just one day in God's courts, in God's perfect presence, than a thousand days anywhere else because in God's presence, our hearts are at home. It's where we were created to be in God's courts and in God's presence. And then last week, we saw Psalm 111, What an incredible text to read the day before a total solar eclipse. Psalm 111 is all about the greatness of our God and the awesome works of his hands, the the creation that he has displayed, and we are, are, are just in awe of who God is. And when we find ourselves in fear of him, in, in awe and reverence of God, then our hearts begin to understand wisdom. Our hearts begin to live in a wise way. And now we're going to wrap up our, our series in the Psalms by looking at Psalm 133. So if you will turn your Bibles to Psalm 133, it's only three verses, short and simple. Let's stand this morning as we read God's Word together, if you're able. 
And now, let's try something as we stand and, and hear God's word read. Some of you grew up in liturgical churches where after the text was read, the leader would say, this is the word of the Lord, and you will reply, thanks be to God. Excellent. You already know a lot of you. So let's, let's try that this morning. Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Excellent. You may be seated. Very good. Many of you know that, that I'm enrolled currently in a doctoral program at Lipscomb University, and I, I never had Lipscomb on my radar to do a, a program like this, but um, I went to a conference there, and it was so excellent and so well done, and of course, they made a, a push for the, the doctoral program, and, and I, I signed up. It was uh, something I felt the Lord leading me to do, and it's been an incredible experience, really. It's it's been uh, theologically and academically rigorous, but also uh, very biblically sound and, and very solid as well. So I've been impressed also with the, the diversity of the students in the, the Doctor of Ministry program. We have, um, in my program, we have a missionary from Japan. We have an educator from Australia who has flown out here four times to, to attend the classes. We have a German guy who's a pastor of Vine Street Christian Church right down the road across from St. Thomas West, not too far from here. We have a, a lot of women in, who are in ministry, which I think is fantastic. We have um, a, a, a few African Americans who've been able to really give us some great insight and wisdom into issues of, of racial justice in, in our faith in America. And we even have a Jewish rabbi who I've come to love as a close friend and at our last spiritual formation retreat, all of us were sitting around this room in Skerritt Bennett Retreat Center, just down the road here by Vanderbilt, and we, he taught us a song, and the song is, is a, a famous one. Rachel Gregory said she learned this song when she was in Israel. It's, it's the Hebrew text of Psalm 133, verse 1, and I'm not going to sing it for you this morning, but the Hebrew words are beautiful. Hene matov umanayim. Shevet Akim Gam Yachad. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together. Here we were, this, this group of ministers from all over the world, ages 25 to 65, from very different faith traditions. And we had had some really heated conversations over the last two years due to our widely varying, deeply held beliefs. My friend Rabbi Flip doesn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. We have very different uh, belief systems, right? But at this moment, singing this song with this text in, in that situation, it was powerful to know that we were all on the same journey. <coughs> Excuse me. We were all studying together, and we were all trying to understand God's will for the earth and how we could be a part of it and lead our congregations to be a part of it. It's a powerful time to sing how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. <coughs> Excuse me. It's a psalm of David, the title says, but it also tells us this is a psalm of ascent. The songs of ascent are Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, 15 songs. They're special songs that the Jewish pilgrims 
would sing as they made the journey up to Jerusalem for the, the three major holidays that they were commanded to come and make a pilgrimage. They, they, the first one was Passover. <coughs> Could you give me some water, Morgan? That'd be awesome. Thank you. Passover, and then Shavuot, which was the festival of weeks, which celebrated the giving of the Torah. And then the Sukkot, there's none in there. It's empty. Thanks. Thanks, Calvinator. That's a great suit. <laughs> and then the festival of, of booths as well. So they would come three times a year up to Jerusalem. And as they went, they had these 15 songs. They were a little, a little songbook for the journey. They would sing these songs as they made their way up to Jerusalem. They all went up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was built on the highest point in all of Palestine. So no matter where you were coming from, you had to go up to Jerusalem. So that's why they're called the Songs of Ascents. Thank you so much, brother. Appreciate it. I've had a cold all week, and I don't know. Satan loves to try to stop us, doesn't he? Perfect. That's some quality H2O, Calvin. The songs of ascents are really diverse. They cover a wide range of topics. There's songs of royalty, songs of wisdom, songs about confidence and protection. But this song here is all about the unity and the community of God's people. As they walk the road together, they're supposed to be one, right? United in community as they go up to Jerusalem. Community, oneness with each other, true union with other souls connecting. This is an absolutely crucial part of what it means to be a Christian. The church is meant to reflect this kind of community to the world. 1 Corinthians 12 describes the church as the body of Christ. It's a single, unified, interconnected body made up of many different parts that are all very different and varying, right? Verse 26 says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. Woodmont is great in a crisis, isn't it? Richard talks about when his daughter was in a horrible car accident, how this church, he, he never talks about it without saying this church really wrapped his arms around Carol and, and him and, and Claire and, and Russell during that time. When one suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Jesus himself in the upper room with his disciples prayed for us, prayed for you and for me. He said in his, his priestly prayer in the upper room, John 17, verse 20, <clears throat> I don't ask for those only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. Those who believe because of the disciples, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our unity affects our witness. The world sees our unity and knows that God has done this. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one. I gave them glory, not so they could be famous, not so they could feel good about themselves, but so that they would be unified, one, just as you and I are one may be one even as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. 
We show forth the love of God through our unity. And this kind of community is increasingly strange in our culture, isn't it? Our culture tends towards privacy and autonomy, right? I think it's so funny how college students nowadays can't imagine the idea of sharing a room with someone else. All these new dorms have private rooms, right? And they can't imagine how strange and invasive it would be to be in a room with someone else, have to share space? Give me my privacy and my autonomy. Privacy fences, privacy shades, privacy screens for your devices are all hot commodities in our culture. Even when technology enables us to be more globally interconnected than ever before, it also enables us to become so self-absorbed in our own little world that we can keep everybody else at arm's length. Social media is not really social, is it? This is not how we were meant to live, nor is it realistic. One of my favorite movies is um, About a Boy. It's very PG-13, so it's, it's rough. Um, but Hugh Grant and Rachel Weisz, it's an older movie. It's from like uh, 2002. But the, the movie is about this guy who's independently wealthy. His father, he inherited a lot of money from his father, so he, he doesn't work. And, and he's, he's carefully constructed his life around this idea that he can totally keep everyone at arm's length, that he won't let anybody in. He won't really be vulnerable to anyone. The, the movie opens with him watching a TV show, and he's arguing with the TV. The, there's a quote on the TV from John Donne, the poet, who said, no man is an island. And he said, that's crazy. I'm totally an island. I, I have this completely under control, my island life. I'm using technology to insulate myself against the whole world. And a friend warns him later, you're going to end up childless and alone. He says, well, fingers crossed, yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, he ends up befriending this, this quirky, dweeby, little preteen kid, like a 10 or 11-year-old kid who, who desperately needs a male role model and a friend. And he, he becomes this, this life-giving thing for this boy. And then the boy, of course, attaches to him. And then uh, he learns to let people into his life. He learns slowly to, to open his heart to other people and have true community and connections with others. For Christians, we would do well to realize this. He says at the end of the movie, he says, every man is an island, and I stand by that, but clearly some men are part of island chains. Somewhere below the surface of the ocean, they're actually connected. We are deeply connected to each other if you are in Christ. We are absolutely part of an island chain that is one underneath the surface of things. There is no true island in the body of Christ. Eugene Peterson says there, there is no only child in the body of Christ because we are now part of one another. The Bible says we're all brothers and sisters. Romans 8.16 says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We have one Father. That's why there's no only child in the church. Sometimes we talk about church as a family of faith. That's a, an apt metaphor. It's impossible to profess faith in Jesus Christ and follow him as Lord of your life and of your soul without being a part of his body, the church. We are connected to the body now if you are in Christ. We have a hard time understanding this. I, I think that we tend to, to see Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. 
Have you accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? That kind of language is not found in the Bible. In fact, most of the times that the word you is said in the Bible, it's plural. And we don't see this in our English translations because there's, there's not a, a second person plural word besides you. It, it could mean you singular or you plural. And most of the times it's plural in the Bible. What we need is a good southern translation that says y'all, right? Then we would see that God is talking to us as a community. He's addressing us as a community. We tend to read it about us individually, right? But it's all about the community. God never works on an individual for the sake of that individual only. When God does something in someone's life, it's, it's for the sake of the community that that person is a part of. It always affects the greater community as a whole. None of us are islands. We're all connected, right, underneath the surface. And the same's true for sin. Sin is never just something that you wrestle with alone. Your sin is not just between you and God. Your sin and my sin affects those who are connected to us, those in our community in powerful, profound ways. You know, we really lose that sense of, of community when we tend to focus inward on ourselves. We need to understand that God is concerned with the community. So this psalm, Psalm 133, reminds us how good these connections are. It may scare you like the protagonist in About a Boy, but these connections are really good and pleasant. How good and pleasant it is to have everybody traveling with you on the same journey as we go towards Jerusalem together, sharing the same purpose, the same mission, the same goal, and that goal is to worship God to enter into his presence, to enjoy communion with him as well by being in his presence through Jesus Christ, whose blood covers us and, and allows us to draw close to the throne of grace. The second and the third verses of this psalm are, are beautiful images, metaphors for the first verse, what community looks like. First, it's, it's, it looks like the holy priest, the sons of Aaron, who have been anointed with precious oil, it's costly oil that anoints us and makes us holy, that sets us apart to do God's work as priest. Imagine if you saw one another, if I saw you as, as priest. What if you saw the people around you as your priests? Picture everybody in a clerical collar. Maybe that'll help the town hall meeting go really well on September 17th. If we can picture each other as priests. It's true. We are each other's priests because we've been called by God and filled with the Holy Spirit and set apart in order to be God's hands and feet in a world that desperately need him. You and I are a priest, a kingdom of priests, is what Exodus 19 says. That was God's plan from the beginning, to set apart a people for himself. We've now entered into that time where you and I are the priesthood of the believers, the second image is the dew on Mount Hermon. This was the tallest mountain of Israel. It's way up in the northern part of Israel, and it was often covered with, with snow. And yet the same refreshing dew that falls on it also falls on the Temple Mount on Mount Zion. The same dew that God sends from heaven on the, the biggest mountain also falls on Jerusalem as well. We know that dew was essential for the, the agricultural system of Israel. There's not a lot of rain, so the dew provided actual sustenance for the vegetation. 
And we know that God provided for His people wandering in the wilderness with what? Dew from heaven and with manna from heaven as well. The dew is what sustained and blessed the people of God. He provides for us still. When we live in unified community, understanding the deep connections between us and embracing those things, enjoying the goodness and the pleasantness of that community, then God gives us this provision that leads to fruitfulness. It leads to bearing good fruit of the Spirit when we live in community. We can then bear good fruit. We, we become productive and effective for the kingdom of God when we are one, when we are unified as Jesus and God are one, one heart and one mind and one purpose. We've all seen how disunity can affect a church, right? It's happened at Woodmont. It's happened everywhere. Nothing gets done in a church that's not unified. Churches will stall out and they'll waste away if they can't come together and maintain unity. And it's a constant struggle, right? Because we're all broken. We're all flawed people in this place. It's hard to have authentic, effective community where you really know one another. Calvin said something at a meeting we had recently of, of small group leaders. He said, we, we got to get to know each other. We have to know each other. That's what community is all about. Being vulnerable and open and, and going to, to each other's homes and, and sharing meals and breaking bread together. That is true community. And it's hard to do that. It's hard to let people in to your life, to what's really going on in your heart and your mind, to drop the facade and to be real with one another. It takes great effort to see other people as priests, as our priests, as something more than just an obstacle to overcome, or worse yet, just a function. A lot of churches can do this, and I'm tempted to do it all the time, to reduce people to what they can do for you. Reduce people to a function instead of made in God's image as a priest of God. This is why Paul instructed the church at Ephesus, the little community there, to struggle constantly to maintain unity. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Oh man, that's hard. Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When you show up to the town hall meeting on September 17th, will you be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? Because here's the truth, verse 4. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That is why we are brothers and sisters in Christ who has made us one. Are you eager to maintain unity in this place? I hope so. Church can be messy business. I, I once heard an old preacher say, church work ain't always the Lord's work. <laughs> it's true. You know, Satan would love to divide us. He would love to use the silliest little things that don't really matter in the end to drive wedges between us. You know, we were talking about people leave church for all kinds of reasons, and, and most of them in the end, 
don't really matter that much, right? We, we've got to think about the big picture, what really matters, what's important. I, if, I hope that Woodmont will be a place where, where we can maintain that kind of unity. Thank God he still provides like the dew of, of Mount Hermon. He still provides supernatural humility and gentleness and patience. Lord, I need it. Goodness gracious knows I need it. We moved to Nashville and driving in Nashville traffic, my, my patience is tested daily, right? We have to, to receive that from the Lord in order to maintain unity. If we try without that, we're going to fail. So I love the way the psalm ends. For there in the perfect community of Mount Zion, the Lord has commanded the blessing of life ever, forevermore. You know, it's true that I think that we're always wanting a glimpse of what life forevermore looks like. What is heaven going to be like? Well, all throughout Scripture, we get these little hints. And right here, there's a hint of what heaven's going to be like. Life forevermore contains a, a place where relationships are authentic, where they're refreshing like the dew of Mount Hermon, like dew to our souls. And, and we can have a taste of heaven right now. By living in, in deep, authentic community where we are open and vulnerable to one another. If we live in the kind of community that God intended for his church to live in, then we are already beginning to enjoy the life together that will be completed in our life everlasting. We just sang, we are called to be God's people. I think it was the second or third verse ends with, let us share our life together as we shall around his throne. I love that. That's exactly what this psalm is talking about. You know, Woodmont has had its share of division over its long history. I was talking to Sue Richardson, who's writing the, the book. I can't wait. I think sometime October or so. It should be. She's really getting close to finishing it up. She, she's told me some of the history of this church. We've had our share of, of, of division and, and issues. Every church has. I'm not saying that that we're particularly bad in that area, but I want us to forget the past and to look forward into our future. Will we be the kind of church that maintains oneness and unity going forward? Or will we allow Satan to use little silly things to drive wedges between us? Will we be eager to maintain the bond of love that comes through Jesus Christ as our Lord that connects us deeply under the ocean to one another? We could fight over the TV ministry. We could fight over new signs and new logos. We could, we could fight over all these things that in the end don't really matter. They're not ultimately a, a part of what God's doing in the cosmos, right? We need to have a universal perspective. Will we as Woodmont Baptist Church move forward as one, unified by the bond of love in Jesus Christ? Will we bear much fruit for God's kingdom by, by being effective in our oneness, in our community? Will we receive the, the blessing of life together now as we shall forevermore? This song reminds us that it's so good and it's so pleasant when we're one, when we're connected and we realize it, it's so pleasant. And let's remember the key to this whole thing. The pilgrims that sang this song originally were on the road to worship, Right? If we will, in community, seek faithfully to honor and to glorify the one God and Father of us all, then I believe that all these other things shall be added to us if we seek first his kingdom 
and his righteousness. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the unity that you have forged between us. God, I pray that you will let the world see our unity, that we who come from very different places, even we who have different beliefs, we who have a wide range of backgrounds and of political ideas and of of socioeconomic backgrounds, God, and of, of professional vocations, that we can show the world what it means to live as brothers and sisters, as one who dwell together. God, help us to have a supernatural patience, to have supernatural humility, supernatural grace that comes from you so that we can bear with one another in love. Help us to be long-suffering, to to be quick to listen and quick to forgive and, and slow to anger and slow to speak. God, forgive us for the divisions in our past, but may we boldly move forward as one into our future. God, we pray that you would help us to realize the depth of the connections between us. Help the world see that and then know us by our love for each other. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.